Now, before we have communion this morning, there's just a couple of words that I want to share with you all as we, um, as we make our way toward communion. So it says that this is teaching number 14 in our Cultivated Life series, which has been our, our kind of understanding of what it means. Hang on. I'm out of breath. I was trying to calm the baby down. She was being very Pentecostal during our, our prayer time, and so I was like... <laughs> okay. So we've been going through this journey of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what it means for us to truly follow the words of Jesus. And we began with very rudimentary, very foundational theological understanding of what it means that Jesus has died for us and has ultimately given us the free gift of salvation. And then we went through what it means for us to repent. So, so God does give us this free gift, but there's also this element of our own human, abil- our own human kind of interaction with God that says, like, we're, we are in this continual process of turning towards God in everything that we do. And, and the biblical word that we use is this word repentance. And so we've gone through all sorts of different things. And, and this is probably teaching, it says 14 on my notes, but I'm pretty sure it's about 11 or 12. So if you have a chance to go back and listen to some of these and really listen to what it means and what we believe the Bible teaches us about being a follower of Jesus. And this morning really is the last in the teaching. And, and just to kind of give this testimony and this understanding of how God works, when I set out to do this, this, this um, sermon series, what I do normally is I start around November or December and look towards the following year and spend some time in prayer and, and thinking and going through Scripture and seeing where is God leading the church over the next 12 months. So when I started doing this back in November, I remember spending hours here you know, over, over the course of one or two weeks here in the office. And if you go into my office, you'll see that there's this, this calendar, a 12-month calendar and there's dry erase uh, markings on there. And I've been working on sermon series for the entire year of, of 2019. And so I, I got all the way up until about August, if you can believe this or not. And I said, well, Christmas is different. So we always do something special for Christmas. We always do something for Thanksgiving. So I said, you know, I think I'm comfortable having sermons planned out all the way to August. Well, then after one of the first or two sermon series of the year, I realized, you know, Let's, so I shifted perspectives, and I said, well, let's do this series on discipleship. Let's do this series on what it means to follow Jesus. And I, got, I listed everything that I would want to teach someone, everything that I wish I knew when I was really, you know, taking ownership of my own faith, and I came up with about 14 different teachings that literally went all the way until this Sabbath. Now, if you're a guest, you're just like, we don't know what's going on. Next Sabbath will be my final Sabbath at this church. But it's just one of those ways that God does things where you just kind of have to take a step back and say, huh, like maybe God, you did know what you were doing all along because I literally, he had sermons all the way up until the time that I needed. I didn't plan it that way. I didn't contrive it. It's just the way that God works. And I think that there is no mistake that the reason that the last few, like the last few moments of our time talking about discipleship is what we're calling this morning the vital importance of, of community. You know, when we look around this church, we really are a family. It may not always feel like that. You may not get together with people during the middle of the week, and, and maybe even the most interaction that you have with some people in this church are when you shake their hand during our meet and greet time during the worship service. But we really are a family of God. Whether, whether we, we are best friends or not, there is something that has brought every one of us here. 
And I think that it's fair to say that most of us would, A, not even know each other. And if we did know each other, we probably wouldn't be friends with each other had it not been for God bringing us into this place. Isn't that true? I mean, it doesn't make us bad people. It just means we have all sorts of different walks of life, and we may never have made it together. But somehow in God's, in God's mercy and in God's grace, he has brought all of us together in this building. And by doing that, we've been able to do a lot of wonderful things together. I mean, just from, from our worship services to our children's ministry and teaching the children and our youth and our young adults about what it means that Jesus loves them. Right? To our, to our adult Sabbath school that is consistently teaching and, and preaching the message of God to the ministries that we have that look outward from the church, our vacation Bible school, our homeless ministries, our, our convalescent ministries, the prison. Like, like this church, a group of strangers for the most part, God is called together to do something wonderful in the city of Orange and the surrounding area. And it can only have been done because we have been called to be the community of Jesus in this time and in this place. And so I want to read to you as you're continuing to ask, well, what does all of this mean for my life of faith? Like, what does it mean? Like, why is community important? I thought my relationship with God was only about myself. I thought that my relationship with God and my faith in God is just about me and God. What do all these other people have to do with each other? And the reality is, is that we have everything to do with that. Yes, the Bible calls you into a relationship with God, but God also calls you into a relationship with one another. So, like, when we do communion... I know it's really easy for us to say, well, this is just between God and me. This is between Jesus and me, and this is just about me. But the reality is, is that these breads were cut from one large piece of bread. Some might even say that they were cut from one body. And we are reminded that when you take one piece of this whole, you are in essence becoming one with one another. So I want to read from 1 Corinthians and just kind of give you some biblical understanding on why it's important for us not just to come to church, but to enter into relationship with one another. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, for just as the body is one, and this is talking about your physical body, and has many members, all of the members of the body, though many, are one, and so it is with Christ. So just follow along. For it is one spirit that we were all baptized into. For in one spirit, the spirit of God, we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, and I know we've heard this, so just follow with me. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, who would be the body? And it is, there are, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So I just want to stop there for a second. I know that's like a lot of words. So yes, he's talking about a physical body. And he's referencing foots, feet, <laughs> foots, feet, hands, 
ears, eyes, right? He's mentioning all these different parts. But what he's saying is like, yeah, like some parts may seem more insignificant than others, but every single part is significant. Even the part of the body that wished it wasn't a part of the body is still a vital importance to the bigger picture of what the body does. Like even your little pinky finger, right? Your pinky toe. Like you think about it, like it, it sometimes it only seems good enough for us to stub into something in the middle of the night, right? Like that seems to be the only time you recognize that your little pinky toe is there. And yet somehow that little pinky toe provides balance for the rest of your body. So even the most insignificant parts that we think are not really that necessary, God gives each one of those parts of our bodies to do a bigger purpose. And of course, that's all an analogy. It's all a metaphor for the body of Christ. Every single believer, everyone who believes in Jesus is made up of the cosmic body of Christ. And the head of the church, the head of this body is Christ. We all get to participate as individual members, but collectively come together to do something that is far beyond anything we could ever imagine on our own. You see, we often think that we just want to come to church so that we can fill this kind of checklist that says, God, I came to church this week, so you, it's your, like you owe me to take care of me all week until next week. I know no one would ever say that, but I feel like sometimes that's how it feels. I've done this for you, so now, God, will you do this for me? But what we find is that when we come to church, the reason that we're truly here is so that we could support one another The reason that we come to church is because we know that the scripture tells us that it is better for for us to come together and bear one another's burdens and help one another and share each other's struggles because we know that if we know that someone is there with us, things are easier. So let me just give you a quick example. If If you've ever been through something in your life and it's hard and it's difficult, it always seems a little less hard when you know that you have someone to rely on. Like it could be a spouse, it could be a family member, it could be your best friends, it could be whoever it is, it could be a church member. But if you're going through something that is difficult in your life, if you know that there is someone that you can rely on to help get you through it, even if, it's, even if they don't do anything, like even if all they do is listen to you, you know that you can get through things because someone is there to help you. It's the same way in the church. You know, my call to you, my challenge, my invitation to you this morning, because this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, is where are moments in your life, and and I'm speaking to myself too, but where have there been opportunities in your life where you could have reached out into the life of someone else, but you didn't, because it was going to be too hard, because you don't want to be dragged into those, or dragged into those problems of someone else, and you don't want to be annoyed, or you don't, you know, that's their problems, that's not my problems. But how many times have we seen people that were in need of help, and we just kind of looked the other way? You see, to be a true disciple of Jesus is to follow in the pattern, and, and the Bible tells us time and time again that Jesus would go out of his way to help people who were in need. Even when Jesus was on the way to his crucifixion, I mean like the weekend leading up to the crucifixion, but he was walking towards Jerusalem and the Bible tells us that someone stops in him, asks him a question, and Jesus just stops and allows himself to not only be fully present, but to help this person in need. 
You know, we think our lives are so important. Well, oh, well, I have to go do this, and I have to do this, and I have this. And I, you know, we think our lives are so important, and so we justify ourselves not helping other people. Yet what we see in scriptures is that Jesus always takes the time to help. And to be a true follower of Jesus, we must also take the time to help one another. I'm not trying to scold you all this morning. <laughs> I feel like my volume is loud. But it's because I'm passionate about what it means for us. The Bible says that we are to be there for our neighbors. We are, we are to help our neighbor, and we are to help the people who are in need. And, and, and here's the biblical definition of neighbor. It's everyone. Every person is a neighbor to you. So whether they're from this country or not from this country, whether they're of your faith or not of your faith, whether they're of your nationality or not of your nationality, like they're all your neighbors. We're all in this together, and especially as one body of Christ— does anyone know how many Christians there are in the world? Yeah, how many? Like, for, are you guessing? Oh, so 2.2 billion. Okay, because I don't know. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> I'm asking because I don't know. But, like, the body of Christ is made up of somewhere around 2.2 billion people in this world. Can you imagine what the world would be like if 2.2 billion people came together and said, we are the body of Christ and we will not stop until we care for our neighbor? You see, now, we, maybe, maybe that's an unrealistic expectation, I understand. But what if a hundred of us who come to this church said, we are going to be a good neighbor to one another. We're going to help each other. We're going to bear one another's burdens. We're going to suffer with those who suffer. We're going to rejoice with those who rejoice because God has brought every single one of us into this place so that we could be his body. One person is not more important than another in a church. Like, I may be the pastor of this church, but I am not more important than someone who's just come in for the very first time. The Bible is clear that we are all priests. We are all priestesses in the family of God. And every single one of you has something to contribute to the bigger cause of God. You see, we're not called here to make ourselves feel better. You're not called here so that you can just get up and do something in front of church. Like, we're called here to build one another up. Verse 21 says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, think about this, we bestow greater honor and our unpleasant parts are treated with greater modesty, which our own presentable part. Okay. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that it lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. You gotta ask yourself, why is Paul writing this? Like he literally said, the people that you think have the least amount to contribute to the church, they are the ones that God actually sees as more honorable. Like that's, like it's like saying, hey pastor, you may get up there and preach every single Sabbath, but you're not more important than everyone else that is sitting there in front of you. And Paul, because here's what was happening in this church in the first century, these people were being divided. The people that had more means, that had more wealth, that had more of a position in society, they started treating other people with disdain, like other Christians, like their brothers and sisters in the faith, the people that had more money were treating those who were poor poorly. And they would come to the Lord's Supper, think about this, they would have these like banquets and these kind of, these big like, 
like arrays of food and they would have the Lord's Supper, but the people of prominence were coming in, eating as much as they wanted, drinking as much as they wanted, so much so that Paul was like, you guys are getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. And he goes, and by doing so, you're neglecting the people that actually are in need who are coming to the Lord's Supper because they just need food to get through the day. So when Paul is saying, he's basically telling the people of power, like, you guys have had this wrong this entire time. The Lord's Supper is about reminding ourselves that we are all one in Christ. So what does this mean for us to be followers of Jesus? It means that we must bear one another's burdens. Verse 26 says this. Just listen to this. If one member suffers, now this is talking about each other. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Think about this for a second. I can assure you that there are people in this building right now who are suffering. And the question is, do you even care that they are suffering? Now the answer may be yes. You got to think about that for a second. There are people in this church who are suffering. What are you, 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 all of us, what am I, what am I doing for the person who is suffering? Have I called them? Have I met with them? Have I brought them something that they need? You see, to be a true follower of Jesus, it's, it's asking, what can I do for the one who suffers? And you can, tell me, you can tell me like, well, you don't know what I've been through and I don't want to help other people. And that's fine. That's your prerogative. But if you are going to be a true follower of Jesus, it's not optional whether you care about what someone is going through. It's a requirement for you to care. If one member suffers, everyone suffers. And listen to this. It's not all bad. If one is honored, then every one of us gets to rejoice with the one who rejoices. Because you are all one together. So, can I just read one more passage real quick? Let me see here. So now think about that. Loving each other, caring for one another. And I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a passage we read at weddings. But I think it fits even more here within the context of a church. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all, have all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but if I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, like to martyrdom, but I have no love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Listen to this. Love never ends. It's eternal. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, when Christ comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. So now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. I'm just going to stop here and just let us, let, let us simmer on that. We use this passage, I've used this so many times in weddings, to tell the one spouse to the other, love your wife, love your husband, and this is how you do it. Like, this is what we do. But when Paul was writing this, it came right after all of that, we are one in Christ. And he is basically saying, even though you, pastor, can get up and preach great sermons and you don't get, you know, nervous in front of people, like, if you are not loving, you are, like, everything you're doing is worthless. Paul is telling each one of you here this morning, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how much you know about the Bible, how good of a Seventh-day Adventist you are, how good you keep the Sabbath, how much you give, how much you pray. None of that stuff matters if you're not doing it from a perspective of love. Like he says, love never fails. Love is eternal. Everything else will pass away. Knowledge will pass away, money will pass away, prophecies will pass away, but love is eternal. And to be a true follower of Jesus is, are you imitating the ways of Jesus? Are you living in the pattern and in the flow of what Jesus showed us it looks like to be a true son of God? See, the vital importance of community is that we have to get beyond our own hang-ups, our own triggers. We, we even have to get beyond the own moments in our lives when we have been hurt by people. Because I don't know if you've known this, but people in church hurt other people. Did you know that? Yeah. If you're like a guest, you're like, what? <laughs> like, we're a real church, so let's not pretend. There's conflicts in the church. There's resolutions and reconciliations that have to happen. But here's the thing, like, if we use those as an excuse to not love one another, then the person who's really missing out on this is you and your relationship with God. You are literally called to care and love one another, suffer with one another, and rejoice with one another. When we come to communion, what we're saying is that we want to put all of our differences aside. We want to, we want to seek reconciliation. And I'll finish with this before we break for foot washing. Like, there's that passage in Scripture, and I can't remember now where it is. Some of you know, where Jesus is talking about conflict with each other. And he says, if you have your offering and your sacrifice and you come to the altar to, to give this sacrifice, because think about it, it's like you're giving this as your appreciation and your thankfulness to God. And so Jesus says, if you're coming to do the right thing to church and give this sacrifice, this offering, but you remember that there is someone that has something against you. Either you hurt them or they hurt you, but there is conflict. He says, Jesus, this is Jesus. This is God incarnate, okay? So not anyone else, is Jesus. He says, before you give your offering, put it aside and go and seek reconciliation for that person you have a problem with, and then come and do the religious thing. Because God knows that what is eternal and what, the only thing you get to take into eternity is each other. That's it. We don't know what anything's going to, like, I can't just tell you, like, I don't even, I stopped, I stopped thinking about what heaven is going to be like because I just couldn't grasp it. All I know is that whatever it is, it's going to be awesome because I've had some really awesome moments and experiences in this world. I can only imagine how amazing heaven and eternity will be with God. So let's just say, like, God, whatever you have planned, we want to be surprised. <laughs> But until then, we are going to do the work of heaven and earth coming together here and now. And we want to be the kind of people that love one another, that reconcile with one another, because that's what Jesus did for you. 
And I'll finish with this. Sorry. <laughs> I got two more sermons to go, so I got to, today and next week, so I got to get it all out. The most important thing that we can be as a church, the legacy that I hope I can leave isn't, isn't that we made our church look awesome, which it does. Not that we have a cool state-of-the-art sound system. Not that we finally fixed that big hole in the parking lot. Not that we're financially, you know, fiscally responsible and in the black. None of that. I don't care about any. I mean, I care, but I don't care. What I hope my legacy would be in this church is that we cared for one another and we sought to reconcile with one another. And that there was nothing more important than learning to be a body of Christ together. Have we been perfect at it? No. Have I dropped the ball? Tons of times. I know. I'm aware. But did we continue to try to make things right is what's important. And I hope that reconciliation would be at the central so that when, you know, you, when, when you are all the old people in church and there's young people coming, that you can, when you look back at the pastor who was here between these years, it's like he cared about reconciliation. He cared about loving each other. He cared about forgiveness. Because if we can do that well, then I know that the, like God is just going to continue to do leaps and bounds and wonders for the Orange Seventh-day Adventist Church. So now, um, if you're a guest, here's what we're going to do. If you're a member, you know what we're going to do. So as part of our preparation for receiving the bread and the blood of Christ, the bread and the juice, what we want to do is we're going to break up for foot washing. And the reason that we do foot washing is because Jesus, when he gives us this Lord's Supper as a gift, when he teaches us what it means, he washes all of his disciples' feet. And so what we've done is we've created this, these environments for you. So if, if you want to go in there, if like there's going to be a room for females only, that's going to be room 100, correct? The, the furthest room? Room 100. That's men. Men is the furthest room outside. Room 100. It says room 100. <laughs> and then room 102, the one right across from the chapel. Room 102. There's a little sign on there. Room 102. Uh, that'll be my legacy. I put room numbers on things. <laughs> room 102 will be for, for females. And then this room right here, the chapel, will be for families and in couples. So if we want to do that, let's break. Let's do that. And then as soon as you're done, we want you to come back in and then sit on every other bench. So we're going to do the benches that don't have crosses. So when you come back on the inside, there are crosses Sit on the benches that do not have crosses because it'll make it easier for us to pass the, the thing. So let's, um, let's pray and then let's break for foot washing. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've created. Well, we're thankful that Jesus in his ultimate and infinite wisdom gave us the gift of foot washing to remind us that we are to serve one another. That regardless of our position in this church or in the world outside, that in your eyes and in your family, we are all one and we're equal. And so, Father, we ask now that as we break, that you would mend relationships that need to be mended. For friendships who need reconciliation, that you would reconcile, reconcile them. For families who go into the chapel, Father, that you would allow resentment to go away. Father, we ask that this would be this moment in this church where you would remind us and fill us with your presence and your love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, let's break and then come back. If you don't know what you're doing, just follow someone and they'll, they'll lead you.